Well, good morning. And thanks, Jim Fulkert is uh, our organist this morning. Appreciate him being a part of our worship and ministry. And that gives Jane Bosco and Lee an opportunity to be out of town and catching up on life for themselves as well. We've gathered here to worship the living God. Remember, that's our purpose. Other times, other places, we do other things. But this is where we set our focus on the living God. So I'm going to do our call to worship. I've taken a passage from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, and we've set it responsively. So I'll begin and you respond as we uh, meditate on the scripture and enter into worship this day. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us stand and sing to the glory of God. This is my Father's world. Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would, please. Well, again, my joy to welcome you to the worship of the living God. We've gathered here uh, on site. I'm thankful that we can be here together in one space, one focus, but glad as well that with the live stream or the recording, we're able to take this moment and make it available to others. Uh, Thank you for inviting us into your space and your time. That as the Holy Spirit has dwelt among us here, might he be with you where you are online. 
A um, couple of things for this morning, and I'll move us through the announcement kind of quickly. Uh, this morning, we'll be doing communion as part of our worship service, and we're still using the kind of single-pack um, safety wafer and juice. If you don't have one of these, I don't see anybody that can bring it to you, but you'll want to head out and make sure you get one, because I'm just going to zip on through when we're to communion. Make sure you've got what you need for communion with the packets. Following the service this morning, uh, we'll have the fellowship time. You'll find coffee and juice in the library. And then at 10.15, I do kind of a follow-up with a pastor, Q&A. It's your chance to be able to say, what were you trying to say when you said this? Uh, I want to create an environment where folks are safe to ask questions. If you're looking for an answer, if you've got a real question, this should be a great place to consider this. This should be one of the safest, most helpful places for unbelievers to come and to say, what does it mean to live by faith? Should be right here. And so really want to commit to that. I'm going to be available for about 30 minutes, Q&A, that sort of thing. Um, tomorrow, Monday, we have a monthly book club and local author Kim DeBlakert, I believe, will be joining that uh, book club on Monday at February 21 at 4 p.m. Uh, right in the library. Kim's memoir is entitled, Until We All Come Home, and it's a story of commitment and her husband, as she and her husband, to bring home a little boy from an orphanage in Ukraine. It's an inspiring recollection of God's hand at work and the power of prayer. And even if you haven't had a chance to read the book, feel free to come, listen, uh, learn. Karen Vandenberg and um, Mary Van Denen are key people if you've got a question with that. Now, next week, Corey Plockmeyer will be preaching. He's been with us before from Movement uh, West Michigan. Uh, Mary Lynn and I leave tomorrow to go be with my mother and siblings. I'm always wondered, how do you say that? Well, we're going to visit mom. And mom's at the South Carolina beach, so we're also going to be out on the beach. So uh, looking forward to a good week away. And we'll actually be celebrating her 90th birthday. Um, so big moment for our family, and we're thankful to be a part of that. Plus, it'll be nice waking up in some place where it's above 15 degrees. I will uh, laugh at that one too. Friends, whatever is happening in the world, this is a moment to breathe deep and say, wait a minute, this is my Father's world. What shall I fear? God is good. I'm thankful for the faith that was given to the church by God in his grace. And we've done our best, sometimes better, sometimes worse, to pass it on to our community and from generation to generation. I love using questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. That's a particular part of our history. And so question 21 we've been focusing on for this month. Let me begin with a question. What is true faith? True faith is a, not only a sure knowledge by which I hold is true, all that God has revealed to us in Scripture. It is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. 
Come thou fount of every blessing. Let us turn to the God who has given us great blessing. have a seat if you would. As we turn to the Lord in prayer, again, in our corporate prayer, and because we're live streaming and such, I mention fewer and fewer names, even as our prayer list gets longer and longer. But I'll give space for you to lift up the specifics as they've gone out in our emails and to the uh, community gathering in that way. So let us turn to the Father and pray together, shall we? O oh Lord, our God, you have loved us deeply, and we thank you for the glimmerings of that love we experience in that life, even in the midst of some of the challenges. We thank you that having seen your love, we have a hope that brings us into a future of great joy and helps us live in this moment in the spillover of that joy. So move deeply in our hearts. Give us that divine perspective that changes who we are and how we live. I thank you, Father, for Heart Awake Ministries, and we pray now for this ministry that you've made us a part of. We pray that you would guide the leadership. Thank you for your provision these many months and indeed now years of your great work. Be with each of our ministries, whether with students, with our community and Neighbors Plus. 
through our missionaries, both near and far. Thank you that you've bound us together as an expression of who you are on the planet. We pray for Pastor Aaron and for the ministry that's going on at Watershed this morning. Thank you for the way you've just built in to this particular church a a diverse expression of the same good gospel. We pray for Fusion and for Pastor JB as they prepare to gather and worship, and for Mission and Pastor Florencio that'll meet right here in this space in just a few hours. Thank you that the gospel is bigger than any one group or person. It is your family, redeemed by your grace through what Jesus did at the cross as you've gathered us. Now, Father, you have called us to be a part of this particular portion of your body, celebration. And so we take a moment and pray for your work here in our midst. Thank you that you were at work through over the bridge of relationships. And so help us know and love one another in authentic and meaningful ways. We pray, first of all, for those in our midst who are sick, those who've gotten a hard diagnosis, who even now are struggling with health issues. We pray for those who are sick, Father, that you'd be healing grace. Father, we pray too for those who are recovering, whether from sickness or from uh, long-term brokenness. We pray that your grace would help people not only start but finish. We pray for those who are recovering, Father. Restore their strength and hope. Father, we pray in this season for those who grieve, who've experienced loss, whether a loved one or a relationship or even a a routine. For those who grieve, we give you, we make intercession. And Father, for those who are distant, far from us or from this place. We pray that whatever distance is there, you may bridge it, and with a touch of your grace, you'd bring a community beyond geography. Now, Father, we live in a world that reflects the brokenness of our sin. Even our best falls short. We thank you that in this broken world, you have established authority. You've taken your sovereignty and divided it, as it were, and delegated it to people and institutions. So you teach us to pray for those in authority over us. Uh, This week in our regular cycle, we pray for federal government, and we pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris, for Michigan Senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, for the area representatives Bill Heisinger, Peter Meyer, and Fred Upton and for our Supreme Court. Father, we know each of those institutions has a person and then a staff and support. So we pray your grace across all of that. And we pray particularly for decisions that are being made now, uh, for international decisions related to national security, uh, for economic decisions, for navigating Uh, life together. We pray that you would have the 
heart of those in authority in your hand and guide them like a river, that picture that Proverbs uses. Thank you that your goodness to us will never be robbed even by the brokenness of others. Father, we keep our eyes to the harvest and for your good work. We know that it includes every tribe and tongue and nation. And so we pray for the underground church in China, particularly as uh, this Olympics uh, propaganda on a international stage, even as that now ends, we pray for the believers who remain, many of them imprisoned. And for believers in Ukraine, Father, who right now find themselves in the midst of a circumstance probably beyond their own choosing, yet be grace for them. We suffer with those who suffer for you. We stand with them. Father, finally, remember the dilemma of Mary and Martha, two sisters who made different decisions in Luke 10. Mary chose to be with you, and you said it was the better part. Martha chose to do for you and to be busy. Father, I pray that you would renew in us that Mary heart, that Mary response, that first chooses to be with you, Lord Jesus, and that having been with you, we might live the fruit of that encounter. Father, whether our business reflects an unwillingness to wait for you, a rebellion of heart, or whether it reflects a, a wall of our perceived unworthiness, as if we could earn more than you offer to us in Christ. I pray that in all of these things, the goodness of the gospel of your grace would give us rest and fill us with your goodness. Whatever it is you do in us, Father, we know it will impact what you do through us. In this moment, set our hearts to the posture of Mary to receive all that you have, that we might pass it on in all your grace and goodness. Thank you, Father, that the way we uh, most regularly experience your presence and infilling is in the place of prayer. And so together as your people, with one voice and one heart, we pray just as the Lord Jesus has taught us using these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. We continue preaching through several parables. Uh, before we jump into this and get to the scripture, let me just give you some context and then I'll read the passage um, and begin preaching from there. We're looking at a particular parable that Jesus had about sheep and goats. It's in Matthew 25. But I want to give you some context that kind of sets how we ought to understand this best. Um, this is a part of a two-chapter passage. Matthew 24 and 25 is one statement from Jesus, and it begins this way. 
Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and listen carefully, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So you see, this two-chapter passage starts as a conversation with only his disciples. It's an inner, close conversation, and it's a response to a particular question. When will this happen? Now, those two chapters, chapter 24 is mostly teaching. He makes statements to communicate truth. But chapter 25 is three parables, three stories to spark the imagination. Do you see the difference with that? We're going to be looking at one of the parables, but he's finished a whole chapter of teaching in response to a particular question from his disciples. Now, chapter 24, he says things like, watch out. Deceivers will come in my name. There will be those who make false claims, wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes. You will be persecuted, and the love of most will grow cold. But in the middle of that, he writes, or he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. Now, let me stop for a second here. I've not been out looking, but I would guess that somewhere on the internet or TV, you can find someone who can interpret the last times and tell you exactly what Ukraine means and when they attack here and then go to Jerusalem and this and that happens. And then there's the mark of the beast and the antichrist shows up and then, and if you'll just send this much money and get their DVD, friends, I want to tell you something, Jesus, and he's a good authority on this. Jesus says, in answer to the question, when will the end come? He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. The Greek there is panta ta ethne, to all the ethnic groups. And then the end will come. Friends, don't try to figure out what's happening from the headlines. Be a part of the gospel of kingdom going out to all the nations. He goes on to say in verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the guy on the internet. Well, that's the bill translation. Not even the angels in heaven nor the sun, but only the earth. But I'm sorry, but only the father. And then chapter 12, three parables. One is about wise and unwise virgins, or what I like to call prepared and unprepared party goers, because it's about going to a feast, not so much about your sexual status. Second one is a parable of talents, what I like to call the ROI parable, return on investment. It's about how are you investing what God has given you. And today we listen to the third one, um, which is the parable of the sheep and the goats. So all that context to get you to this point, hear the Word of God, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. And I'll read beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, says Jesus, and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the kingdom will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. You may want to circle that word inheritance. We'll come back to it. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then... He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you all these things, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, and, but the righteous to eternal life. Again, before we pray for illumination and get into the sermon, I want to remind you of two things, actually three that we see in this passage. First, it happens at the end of the world. We don't read this about what's happening in this moment. Jesus says it's at the end. The Son of Man comes in his authority and kingdom and he takes his throne. That's when this happens. Second, it is the Son of Man who will be doing the separating, who will identify sheep and goats. Not you, not me. It's the Son of Man who will do this. And third, it will be as a shepherd. It will be like, Jesus is using here metaphor, a picture, an image, a comparison. He's trying to take something familiar, the shepherd separating sheep and goats, to teach us about something unfamiliar, the great and final day. Now, what does Jesus have to say about the end? There will be a separating, but we need to ask, what does that mean that can guide my life right now? What can we learn about what is to come in such a way that it shapes who I am and what I do? This scripture and all of scriptures, I've said again and again, is about God and what he is like and what he will do. It's not about us, except as we respond to who God is and what he's doing so that we can align our hearts with that. Let's pray. Father, it's a breathtaking moment to hear from the lips of Jesus of a coming judgment. And yet, if we're going to take you seriously for all that you have said, we need to face this. And so, guide us this day, set our hearts to be inspired by the hope of the gospel, to learn about you, and to respond to you for our hope and for our glory. Thank you that 
Um, Matthew would have been in the circle of disciples that heard this answer and asked this question. That he carefully recorded it. Uh, no doubt he would have checked it out with his fellow disciples. And then across centuries now, you have preserved that writing. It's fascinating how that's worked. So that now we can open it up and as it were, read what an eyewitness saw and heard. Put us there, but even more than that, by your Holy Spirit, make known to us the goodness of your grace. Spirit, finish your work and illumine our hearts and minds that we might receive all you have for us. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Well, I want to tell you something. I've got a plan to get rich, and it's pretty easy, so I'm going to give it to you, and you can test it out. I'm going to get a job and work real hard. And here's the new insight I had this week. I'm going to get a job with Amazon and work real hard. They're hiring in those warehouses, and I can guarantee I can outwork a robot. So I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to do it for Amazon because I heard that Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos, is one of the richest cats on the planet. And so I'm going to get a job, I'm going to work hard, and I'm planning to inherit everything Jeff Bezos has. How does that sound like for a plan? Kids, it's okay to say, stupid. Because that is not going to work. Friends, if your plan is to work hard for an inheritance, you've missed the point of an inheritance. How do you get an inheritance? Is it about working hard? Uh, Someone may work hard, but it's not the one who inherits. Is it about conforming? You know, I can drive the same car as Jeff Bezos. I can have the same habits, wear the same clothes. Doesn't mean I'll inherit a thing. That really struck me because, you see, a number of decades ago, it was pretty easy to conform to our culture and get pretty close to looking godly. That's not the case anymore. If you conform to this culture, you and God are going to have a challenge with one another. See how things have changed and suddenly the same response, the same behavior doesn't pair the same fruit. How do you get an inheritance? Is it about behaving? Well, if I'm good enough, then maybe Jeff Bezos will write me into his will. Friends, I want to tell you, you don't gain an inheritance any other way but joining the family. You don't inherit a person's estate because you work for them or do this or conform to that or behave in that way. You receive an inheritance because you've been made part of the family. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. See why I wanted you to circle that? He doesn't say come take your paycheck. He doesn't say come you're acting just like someone who belongs here. He says come Take your inheritance. Friends, I want to tell you what Jesus is speaking here is about receiving an inheritance, not picking up a paycheck. I'm not sure how that strikes you. 
Ponder your heart for a moment. Does that make you angry? All this work, and what do you mean I don't get the paycheck? Or maybe you have a hard time even hearing Jesus speak because you worked hard and somehow your life doesn't look like the paycheck you expected. Or maybe in your relationship with others, you want them to earn the paycheck that you think you're earning as well. I want to tell you the gospel blows all of that up. He has an inheritance for those who are his children. And that's our assurance and that's the good news. But wait a minute, Pastor Bill. I'll often have people say, isn't every person a child of God? I mean, we're all children of God, right? On the planet. I want to suggest to you that in light of the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, not every human is a child of God in the way Jesus is pointing to here. Every human you'll ever meet is a creature of the great creator king. But Jesus is speaking to his disciples who've taken a decisive and different step. There's more to being a child of God than taking a breath. You see, friends, we are all image bearers of the great king. Every human being you ever meet regardless of their politics or ethnicity, regardless of their ability or lack of ability, regardless of what they've done to themselves or what others have done to them, every human you will ever meet is stamped with the image of God, the imago dei. And because of that, every person has purpose in life. There is a reason for you being alive. May not know it right now, may be confused about it, but every person Every person, because of the image of God, has value. You will never see a person, a human being, who lacks value just because they're different than you. And indeed, because we are creatures of the king, we are accountable. And so it is true that we are philosophically contingent upon God. He is the first, we are the second. That's all true. That's what it means to be a a creature of the creator. But there's something different about the sheep in this metaphor, about being a child of God. My humanity means I am his creature. Every human being is that. But it's adoption that means I am his child. My adoption. And what is adoption? It's the response of faith to the call of grace. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. I move from a broken creature of the creator to a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. There's a step. With this adoption comes a whole new identity. I am a child of the redeeming king. I'm adopted into his family. That's how I have an inheritance. That's how I'm different. Not because of what I do, but because who has laid claim to me. I have an identity. That's how I have an inheritance. You see, this is the message of the parable. That those who are adopted have an inheritance waiting for them. We're called to live the life of fully adopted children of the great creator king. And if you'll live that life, his life in you will produce the wool 
Scripture also calls it the fruit of the Spirit. It'll be something evident and obvious working out in our lives. You see, friends, it's as simple as this. Sheep produce wool because they are sheep. They don't produce wool because they conform to a particular culture. They don't produce wool because they've been to a seminar or passed the test. Wool produce, a sheep produce wool without hardly thinking about it. It's just who they are. Do you remember how the righteous said to the king, when did we see you and do... You see, they weren't following instructions. They were living the life of inheritance. They were living the life they were created to live. Sheep produce wool by being sheep, not by being goats who behave differently. This plays out in a number of different ways in the Scripture. Fruit trees produce fruit by being what God made them to be, namely fruit trees. And so you'll read all through the New Testament, Jesus talks about fruit. It's the same message. It's a little different metaphor. God never says to the walnut tree, all right, I want a bushel of oranges from you by tomorrow. God would only expect oranges from an orange tree. That's what he redeemed and created and meant for that orange tree to be. In this parable, He's laying out that the righteous feed the hungry and visit the sick as a result of God adopting them as his children. Not be, they don't do those things so that God will then adopt them. They receive an inheritance. You recognize they have an inheritance coming because they're living like children of the king. And children of the king, let that life live out through them. They feed the hungry. They visit the sick and the prisoners. This parable is not about feeding the hungry or visiting the sick in order to be adopted any more than me working at Amazon means I will inherit the estate of Jeff Bezos. This parable is about the end will come and God will see the evidence of his inheritance and will enter into that. Are you a sheep? Well, the question to ask is, are you producing any wool? Are you an orange tree? A way to kind of figure that out is, do you live to produce oranges? Are you righteous in Christ? What does your life, even more, what does your heart that gives birth to the behaviors and words, what does your heart demonstrate? It's consistent with this parable, and you might conclude that you can learn something about yourself by taking a look at your wool. What can you learn from looking at your wool? Well, again, I want to just reiterate on the screen that wool is like fruit. That's another metaphor that Jesus uses to talk about this. What is your life producing? Sheep produce wool because they're sheep. Orange trees produce oranges because they're oranges. What does the product of your life reflect and tell you about the inner life that you live? That's why I say in order to learn from your wool, you're going to have to begin to think, what are my words and behaviors? But more than what are my words or behaviors, where do those words and behaviors come from? So to do this, look deep at the source. The outward invisible shortcomings or benefits trace back to what's going in your heart. 
Good behaviors, bad behaviors are not simply yours to take credit for or to change, but they're an opportunity for you to see what's happening in here. Look deep at the source, not just what I do, but where do these things come from? And also look in light of the scripture. This is a a growing challenge for us because there's plenty of things that I can do that are acceptable to the world that God would say no. And I need to begin to evaluate not just my behaviors, but my motives and my heart in light of the scripture. Does my heart care for the sick? Is it visiting the prisoner? Does my heart feed the hungry? Does, uh, do they touch me with compassion and with mercy that shows itself in behaviors? So we've got to look at the wool and ask, what does that tell us about what's producing it? Let me give you a quick concrete example. Um, I'm part of a men's group. It's a great opportunity where I sit down with some other men and I kind of step back from being a pastor to just being a participant. And we share life and prayer and conviction and laughs and breakfast, all that kind of stuff. In the course of that, one of the other participants shared a, a video that had meant a lot to him. And it was a very helpful video about being available to God as an instrument of his love. And he gave some recommendations. The one that really captured me was be ready for invitational failures. So I heard this inspiring video about be ready to extend God's love to people. And there may be invitational failures, but be ready to invite And so as I spent some time praying and meditating on that and said, Father, how would you want to speak to me in this? I began to realize and dig in, why am I unwilling to invite people to church or invite people to a group or invite people to my home for a spiritual conversation? What are the barriers? Well, sometimes in my heart, I have an invitational failure because of fear of rejection. Yeah, I don't want to invite because what if they take offense or what if they say no? What will it mean for me? You see, that's a behavior not inviting because of a particular heart's condition. Sometimes, I must admit, I'm anxious to extend an invitation because it looks good on me. I'm building credit and I may invite that person and they say no, but it's just because they're not as good as me. You see, that's a different heart condition. There I'm inviting, but with a motive that's not concerned with them. That's again, concerned about myself. But, but here's what I began to sense the Father calling me to, even as I would face potential success, potential failure, putting myself out there and making an invitation. Do I have such a love for another person that part of caring for them would be letting them know where I found encouragement and hope? Am I inviting people to be part of my credit? Am I not inviting people to avoid my rejection? Or do I have such a focus and care for them? And I see the hope of the gospel as meeting a need that they share with me in the context of relationship. Do they see something in me that might bring hope for them? That's the bridge for invitation. You see, there's one behavior, one challenge, but I had to sort through three different heart motivations. That's what I mean. Look at your wool, but what does that tell you about the heart? It's a great uh, statement I've been meditating on, for, and I bring it up from time to time over the years. 
Sin needs to be understood for what it reveals, in parentheses, about the heart. Is this word or behavior out of line with God's word? What does that tell me about my heart? It needs to be understood for what it reveals rather than for what we are to stop. See, I can stop words and behaviors. I just stop talking. What sin shows me is more than something to stop. It shows me something that God needs to change in my heart. Could you look at your sin and say, what's the root of that? And bring the gospel of God's grace to that? Experience a heart change that begins to alter how your life plays out? Friends, this is huge for parenting. And let me admit, I was 20 years late to this as a parent. But part of discipling my children is not just to help them understand what they should do or what they should not do. That's part of it as a parent. I get that. But we need to also help them consider the why or the what did you want when you said that. What is the why or the want that energizes behavior? And I get it. You do that differently with a two-year-old than a nine-year-old than a 17-year-old. But imagine if our churches and our families were helping one another look at the behavior, but ask deeper heart-level questions and begin to bring the gospel to that. So then the question can get kind of rude. What do you learn if your wool is lacking? And I want to tell you this, friends. If your life is shortcoming in light of the gospel... Don't just try harder in your own strength. I've got to, you can manage behaviors. Someone asked me today, Pastor Bill, are, are you always this cheerful? And I said, no, I'm just a good performer. I'm only really cheerful like this for about two hours a week. It is possible. What's worse is that I can fool myself. Don't try harder. Instead, prayerfully identify the heart source of whatever that behavior is, whatever those words are. Have you ever heard something come out of your mouth and you just think, oh, I wish I could get that back? Well, ask yourself, where did that come from? Is there a wound? Is there a fear? Is there pride? Is there self-righteousness? What kind of heart leads to those kind of words? So look at the heart source and ask yourself, what needs to change in my heart? Remember how I said the king separates the sheep and the goats? This isn't for you to do to others. Let God work in your heart now. What needs to change in your heart? And here's what should be three key resources. I'd love to dig into these longer, but we need to move on. The written word, not your culture, not your feelings not your understanding. Let the written word shape all those things. Will you get it right every time? No. Will you get it right a little closer each time? Yes. The written word, gospel community. Is there anybody who could help you sort through the motives of your heart who would be able to dig through your behaviors and say, I wonder what that comes from. I wonder if it's this kind of wound or that kind of pride. And most of all, the Holy Spirit. You know, my sheep hear my voice, Jesus said in John 10. Do you have the kind of prayer life where Jesus can lead you through the process of not condemnation, but conviction? All of this, friends, should lead to a point of repentance.
Now, I get it for most church-going people. I say repentance. Your gut feels shame. For many people in churches, repentance is more about getting caught, feeling bad, and trying harder. Forget it. What if repentance was about seeing my heart in light of God's Word and then the Holy Spirit bringing the abundance of God's grace to my shortcoming? Boy, if you really believe that's what repentance was, you'd almost be excited to repent. To have your heart illumined by the light of God's Word and then the abundance of God's grace brought to that to set me free? See, here's the good news of this parable, friends. You were redeemed for your wool, not by your wool. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, this permeates the whole Scripture, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we, you see, now it turns to who we are. We are God's handiwork, His epic poem. We were created in Christ Jesus in order to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. That's the inheritance created before the foundation of the earth. God created you with an intent, and he redeemed you for a purpose, to be used to his glory and for the benefit of others by his grace, not by your effort. I'm going to close with a quick story about my dad, who you know I love and have deep respect for. He was a faithful churchgoer, supported me as I went into ministry. Anything the church asked of him, he would do. But it wasn't until he retired that he began getting involved in short-term mission trips. And he would go with a team from his church to different places, and he'd help and be a part of things. And he saw great things, was really excited about it. And I remember asking him, Dad, what, how's it going on this short-term missions thing? And he said, oh, it's good. I, it's nice of them to bring me. I'm not sure really what I do. You know, we're trying to plant churches, and we bring doctors and dentists there, and they do their work, minister to people while the uh, evangelist preaches, and they start a, ch- a church. I'm really glad to be a part of that. Well, I had a friend who was a dentist, Chip Case. We'd gone to high school together, and Chip was going to that church, and he was on the same mission teams as my dad. And I remember asking Chip, say, Chip, what's it like having my dad on your mission team? And his eyes just got wide and he said, it is unbelievably great. I know that if your dad is on our mission team, I'm going to be able to work. That my tools will work, that the generator will work all the time. That if we run out of something, the little motor scooter in this village will work and we can go in there and get it. There is not I mean, your dad works miracles. There's not an engine on the planet that he couldn't get to run. My dad was just there being what Jesus created him to be. He wasn't trying to earn his way anywhere because of what Jesus did on the cross. He knew what his future was. He was an orange tree bearing fruit. He was a a sheep producing wool. He was a child of the great king who'd been redeemed and given a gift that he could hardly even recognize. That's what it means to plug into what God is doing and into your life. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we give you thanks for your extraordinary love. Thank you that you come to us with no demands, but you come to us with the gospel. 
that you will take us in our broken creatureliness and because of what Jesus did on the cross, you will move on us with your grace and then by faith, Father, we would reach out and receive all that you have for us. Thank you that because of your grace, we can receive more than we could ever produce or earn or deserve. So we want to dwell in that like Mary did at the feet of our Savior. And then from that connection, we want to go live out. So we won't be the hurried, troubled, hard-pressed Martha. Father, thank you that the gospel is first about receiving and who you are and what you've done. And only then, by great joy, is it about producing. Be with us in this moment, we pray, in your marvelous and mighty name. All of God's people said together, Amen and amen. Again, for communion, I want to make sure everybody's got a um, communion packet. Christine is right here in the center if you've not gotten that. Um, just catch her attention and she'll bring one. Let me prepare us. I want to read from Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He writes this, For I received from the Lord what I've also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he poured it, and he said, this cup is a new covenant made in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to say, so that whenever anyone eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy and inappropriate manner, they'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Each of us ought to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink from the cup. What does it mean to examine ourselves? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean check out your life and see if you've earned enough to make the cut and come to the dinner. Appropriate means we come trusting in him, not ourselves. Some of us may need to repent of our good works, thinking that I did this so I've earned my way, and instead to lay aside and say, Lord Jesus, I receive. See, I don't know what the world sees as we gather, but what the world I wish I could communicate should see is a people who are willing to say to the world, I'm a sinner, I'm unable, but there is a God who is able and who invites all sinners. There's room at the cross for each of us. See, that's the good news. That's what it means when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That rest is the rest of the gospel. Come to me. Not with all that you've done, but come to Jesus for all that he will give. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for the extraordinary way, the unbelievable way, the beyond understanding way, the blow my mind kind of way, that you laid aside your glory and you entered into the human condition. You took upon yourself a human form that you were tempted in every way as we are, it says, and yet without sin. 
And in that way, you became our substitute. That instead of us getting what we deserved, you got what we deserved and you offered us what you earned. It's amazing. And then you gave us this reminder and you said, here, I will meet you. And so this bread, this very simple bread and this very simple cup, because the promise of your word and the presence that is yours in the Holy Spirit, you meet us. Here you are. This day we come to receive. We ask that your gospel would be like a seed in our hearts and minds, that it would dig deep roots into your word, the living water of your spirit, and that it would produce 60, 100 fold. Begin your great work in us in this moment, Father. We make our prayer in the marvelous and mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Now, I want you to take, there's, you'll find on these cups, there's two little lips there. I'm taking the one that's kind of a clear with purple square on it, and I'll pull that one back, leave the other one down, and it gives me the wafer. And we hear this, the body of Christ, which is broken for you and for you. Take and eat. Likewise, the scripture says, at the end of the supper, Jesus took the little cup and he carefully pulled just part way back the little top. You don't want to spill it on your shirt. And then he said, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Drink ye all of it. Let me pray for you. Father, could it be that something so simple in and of itself could be a bridge, as it were, to something so great as your love that would redeem and transform us? because your word says it, we'll step out and receive it and believe it in that way. So find access to our hearts in this moment that you might be encouragement, that we would begin to see your failure as not just behaviors we need to stop, because sometimes we really do need to get those stopped, but even more as a fracture in our broken heart that you desire to heal. So heal our deep brokenness, set us free from our bondage, our addictions, our pride. Let us relax from self-righteousness and instead receive an inheritance. At the cross, Jesus said it is finished. It's as if right there the judge slammed down the gavel and said this adoption is complete. Everything is covered. What a wonder that in your great love, you have made us more than we could ever ask or think or imagine. Help us to live more deeply into that day by day to your glory and to the benefit of others. For we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I love this hymn. We praise you, O God, our redeemer and creator. I'll ask you to stand and let's sing together.
now receive the benediction of our God, the word spoken over Israel centuries before the Redeemer came, but true because they're God's. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen and amen.